So Batman can't help me? Fine. In that case, let's see what Batgirl can do. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Mark Tiberius Lemke, Chicago Blackhawks fan. This is episode 131, and this podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network. And you can also help support the Batman Universe by heading to patreon.com slash the Batman Universe. And also be sure to take the Batman Universe feedback survey at servermonkey.com slash r slash tbu feedback. My name's Tim. I'm going to be your host for this episode. And joining me, as always, is Dane. What's up, Dane? Hey, Tim. Um, so, baseball. I know it's a touchy subject for you right now. Yeah. Sure, you want to start with that? <laughs> you know, let's just get it out of the way. So it's to be a happy occasion because it's opening week. All the <laughs> baseballs back. Our teams are playing, but the question is, are they playing well? <laughs> yeah. So um, it's very exciting time. Opening day was this past Monday. Hmm. And well, three teams played on Sundays, so technically it started Sunday, but Monday was like the official opening day for pretty much most teams. Yeah, but the A's didn't play on, on Sunday. They played on Monday, I think. Well, the Yankees played on Sunday, so whatever day the Yankees <laughs> play, that's the official opening oh, day. <laughs> I see. Um, so, yeah, it's an exciting time. Unfortunately, Tim, and I know this is going to be a big surprise, but I think the A's are 2-3 and three now, 2-4 and four around there. Uh, yesterday, Friday, they... Gave up eight runs in two innings. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's um, too early to tell, but it it doesn't look Not good. Not a good indicator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you this. They have a better record than the Yankees right now. They've won two games. Yankees are one and three. Wow. Wow. And I know I was texting you yesterday how uh, you told me you sent me the screenshot <laughs> of how they were down eight nothing the A's were. Yeah. I told you, well, the Yankees are on the verge of blowing a five one lead. And they eventually did. So well, see, I'd rather a team yeah. give up eight runs like Oakland did at the beginning, so you know it's pretty much gonna be a lost cause for a game, but maybe have a hope of coming back. But when you're up by four runs and then you blow it late in the game, that's a much worse loss. Yeah, but still, it's like I understand that, you know, it, it was a new pitcher. Um, I think that was his first call-up. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with that being said, giving up eight runs in the first two innings and then losing 5-10 is it's not a good indicator. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they made a little bit of a comeback. They just didn't lay down and die and give up the game. It was lost ten nothing. Yeah, <laughs> they showed a little bit of fight. Oh, sorry, they're two and three. They're two and three. I, I thought it was uh, two and four. But um, that being said, I guess there's hope in that maybe they'll go on a good run before the All Star break. It's always possible. You know, that's the beauty about opening week. Everyone's in it for a good amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> Probably like around the second or third week is when you can get a good read as far as your team. You know, it's going to be one of those down years or they're right in the middle or they're off to a great start. And 
you know, it's going to be a fun ride for the yeah. rest of the summer. But right now, it's all pretty even keel, which is always fun. But <laughs> yeah. unless you get off to like an zero and three start, I think Seattle and uh, Kansas City are <laughs> right now. Well, no, they will each won a game, but they started out zero and three, which is not good. Yeah, plus two. I think uh, I think Sunny Gray is close to coming back, but but then for again, a little bit before he gets traded. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you know that's going to happen. And of course. Um, he didn't really have a good year last year. I think it was like five and eleven mm-hmm. at the end of the season. <clears throat> so, yeah. Oh, and also, uh, it doesn't look like the A's are going to get a new stadium uh, for a while. I was reading an article, and uh, back when uh, the Raiders were in Los Angeles, were they were in Los Angeles before they went back to Oakland, right? Yeah, yeah. To to lure them back, to to get them back to Oakland, uh, the mayor at the time made a bad deal, and I think the taxpayers in Oakland are are going to have to pay like thirty million dollars. Jeez, <laughs> for a team Man. that doesn't even play in the city anymore. So, yeah, that's not very good news. (laughs) They just got to change cities or something. (laughs) It's like Oakland's just a lost cause. They They just got to get out of that stadium somehow, some way. (laughs) They got to go to San Jose. Um, I know the Giants hold the the territory over there, but Mm -hmm. they they have to go there. Uh, San Jose, Sacramento. I think there was one other, one other place, one other city, but I think the A's were blocked from going there because they didn't want the traffic going through. So, yeah, it looks like they're stuck at the Coliseum for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the dumpiest of dumps when it comes to baseball stadium. <laughs> at least, at least the field looks all right. <laughs> When it's not football season, then yeah. you can see all the chalk yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the yard lines <laughs> etched in there. Well, it's, it's really not going to be a football stadium anymore. So that's, that's true. positive. Yeah. That's positive. It's only going to be baseball. And it won't be the only um, dual sport stadium in, in, uh, in sports in America. That's right. That was the only one left. Yeah. So these aren't probably probably aren't going to be getting a new stadium they're not looking that strong this year and they're going to be considered a uh what was it called Tim? oh a big market team yeah, big market team right, right. <laughs> so, i forgot about that <laughs> even though they had the second worst attendance record and fourth lowest payroll I think that's insane yeah, <laughs> yeah you didn't get off to a good start already during the off season when all that stuff happened yeah. <laughs> with stadium big market team yeah <laughs> I'm just hoping that like I mean the A's have Chris Davis right they have Sonny Gray they have uh, uh, Rajay Davis I'm just hoping that like one of these players, right, can bring the age something, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> could, could, a little bit of a reason I mean, to watch. Yeah. I mean, they are going to eventually be traded either this year 
at the end of this year or next year. So, you know, I'm just hoping that the A's can get something. Either performance or prospects <laughs> when they get traded. So, so it's not all for nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, sorry, the season hasn't gone off to a great start. But again, I can't talk too much either. Yankees are one and three, but like I said, it's early on, and I'm just glad baseball is back. Yeah, and plus just, too, you know, the new Yankee Stadium, even though the old Yankee Stadium was all right. Yeah, I know that's a sore spot for you <laughs> being an Oakland fan of their stadium situation. So I don't understand. Like, how come when the Yankees can get a brand new stadium, and how come uh, the Braves can get a brand new stadium? And there is, they just had one about 20 years ago. So the phrase is the biggest one for me. It was like, they don't really need one. <laughs> but anyway, <Yeah. laughs> we'll cheer you up with our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary, hopefully, Dane. Yeah, let's do that. Because <laughs> I think we're going to be going on to a new scene. We've been stuck in prison with uh, Bruce and Bane as he's been, Bane's been giving that monologue of his plan. But I think we're finally going to come out of it. Okay, so. good. So get your standard dead media formats, HD, DVD, VHS, beta tape, Laserdisc, and, oh, the latest one, your Blockbuster video uh, membership card <laughs> <laughs> and to go rent The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> and and your Netflix DVD oh, service. Yeah. yeah. Your, your Netflix physical media disc yeah, physical <laughs> that media you wait for in the mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so just queue up all those great formats to the one hour and 20 minute mark, and we're going to start in three, two, one, go. And there, Bane says the iconic line. I do like how he lifts his hand off from Bruce right there. You just see the amount of pain that he's in. I mean, you knew he was in pain at the start of that scene just from knowing his fight, but you really get a sense of it right there or just how messed up his back is. And then Selena is just going to do her flip over that prison uh, inmate's hand. Wasn't this in the trailer? Mm, yeah. yeah. It's such a short sequence, too. It's one of those things where it's kind of cool, but didn't really need to be in there, I thought. Because yeah. you never see her in prison again. You see her going in, and then she's already out. Now, is this the same boardroom from all of the movies? I think from The Dark Knight, but yeah. definitely not from Batman Begins. Yeah. How did Bane get in there? I'm sure Talia gave him the backdoor key or something. Uh, (laughs) Hey, we made it through a few sequences here. Yeah, but unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. Yep. And they're going to take a long trip down the sewers, I think, in the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me it's going to be like five episodes of them just walking down. (laughs) I I know Lucius Fox hesitates a little bit when Bane tries to, you know, give him those access codes yeah but then tally ends up doing it so we'll have to see how long that lasts but we'll find out in our next episode and with that we can go ahead and move on to our feature topic for this episode and it's going to be about more great dc movie news at least i think so (laughs) and at least on the batman front because it was announced i believe last week shortly after we recorded our last one that uh, a batgirl movie has been announced and is in development and it's going to be developed by josh whedon who's right now is in talks to write wait wait tim Tim. i think it's joss 
What? Oh, did I say Josh? Yeah, and, yeah. and you put it on the show notes as Josh Whedon. Uh, you're right. Now that I'm looking at the actual report on Variety, it's Josh. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a it's an honest mistake. <laughs> one that I think I'm, not, I'm hopefully I'm not the only one who makes because they're pretty similar. <laughs> but nonetheless, thank you for correcting me, Dane. Got to get it right. You're welcome. <laughs> so yeah, when this news came out, I was pretty darn excited. First hearing that it's a Batgirl movie. I mean, I think a Batgirl, a Batgirl movie is a long time coming. She's a character who could easily sustain her own movie as much as Batman could. And, you know, Batman has such a great uh, roster of characters that we all know and love, like Dick, Barbara, and so many other ones. But Dick and Barbara are the two that you would think right off the bat would warrant their own movies. And that's what we're getting because we had the Nightwing movie announced and now we're getting Batgirl. So that alone had me excited. But when I heard that Josh, or Joss Whedon, <laughs> see, I almost did it again. <laughs> when I heard that Joss Whedon was it docs to write and direct it, I was like, oh man, this is, I, this is awesome. I think I tweeted out right when I heard it. Like, my only question is, when is this movie coming out, or is it here already? Because <laughs> I want to see this. Now, I should uh, say right off the bat, I know Joss Whedon has a great pedigree of <laughs> great stuff that he's worked on, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer to firefly and honestly i haven't seen all this stuff i've never seen buffy the vampire slayer i haven't seen too much of firefly i just seen the first few episodes and the movie serenity but i did see his two avengers movies and i really liked them both and the first one is one of my favorite superhero movies of all time probably in my top five so that reason alone gets me excited <laughs> to have josh whedon on the dc side of things now and doing batgirl and kind of makes, just going off the avengers that kind of makes me think that uh Maybe he would have been good for like Justice League Part Two or a team up movie, but hey, if he's doing Batgirl, that's cool too. Because like I know from other fans who've been fan of his work since the early days, like since Buffy and Firefly, he he knows how to nail the characters that he's working on. And if he can able to bring the same thing uh, to Barbara Gordon, I think that's going to be a win win. So just right off the bat, I was excited for the announcement, and then Joss Whedon being behind it, I'm just really excited for it. So. Uh, before I get into some of the stuff I hope to see about this new background movie and maybe what can we expect, uh, Dame, what was your overall reaction when you heard the news? Yeah. Well, you, you know me in the movies, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, I, I know you're going to be jumping for joy and like, oh, this is going <laughs> to make me excited for everything coming down the pike. But, um, you know, I I think a Batgirl movie would be good. I'm just not sure that um, it's for it's what's best for right now. You know, it's it's we should be focusing on Wonder Woman and Justice League. Um, this is it's. Hmm. Well, to be fair, those uh, movies are I, you know pretty much done, <laughs> and you know, well, we're I guess going to wait on sequels yeah. if those get announced. But I, there's no kind of potential release date for Batgirl. So I think it's definitely going to be somewhere down the line, like over the next five years or something. Yeah, well, I guess I'll just say it like this. Like, let's say that your baseball team, uh, whoever that may be, it uh, wins eight straight games, right? Uh, beginning of the season, opening day. And then you, as a fan, are like, we are going to win the World Series, we're going to make it past the playoffs. We're going to win our division. Uh, you know, we're going to make it to the playoffs. We're going to win the World Series, right? 
after eight games in a 162-game season, right? Mm-hmm. I just think that this is kind of what that seems like. Uh, this movie and the Batgirl movie, it's, it's kind of like it's so far off that you shouldn't <laughs> really be focusing on that right now. You know, you should be focusing on what you have slated, what you've already filmed, and you should focus on that and try to make that the best possible thing that you can rather than announcing that, you know, we, we, we put in, you know, this, this background movie into production. We put in the uh, Nightwing movie into production, the Flash movie, the Green Lantern Corps. You know, I, th- I think this is kind of like it's it's it, it's in a sense like celebrating too early, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, so can... that's what I kind of feel like because th- there is no way that you can judge, you know, uh, winning eight straight games in a in a baseball season, um, and uh, and then saying that you, your team is going to go on and win the World Series, you know? Sure. Yeah. I kind of get what you're saying on that front where, yeah, let's hold off a little bit, see how your big movies that you have coming out now are before you start planning ahead for these other future movies. But at the same time, I get to where, you know, they kind of have to be a little ahead of the curve and just have some movies in production and don't, you know, go about it haphazardly where you're just announcing movies. Make sure you get the right creative person involved and it's something they're passionate about and stories they really want to tell. And, I don't. Know, I kind of get that impression that that's the case with this background movie, and it could be something where I think the opposite happened, where maybe it was Joss Whedon who came to Warner Brothers and said, "Hey, yeah. you guys are in the midst of getting your DC movies or the, your DC universe up and running, especially in the Batman front. I got a killer idea for a background movie. Here's my pitch." And they're all, "That sounds awesome. Yeah, go ahead and do that." I mean, this maybe wasn't even on Warner Brothers' radar, yeah. but. Or maybe it was, and they sought after Josh Whedon thinking, you know, you're perfect for this. But I kind of think it's the former where this is Josh Whedon's idea, and he kind of wanted to bring this out. And that's the case. I think that's the better scenario when you have a filmmaker who's really passionate about something and wants to tell this. So, um, yeah, we'll see how it turns out, of course. But it also makes you think where, you know, they're focusing more on the Batman side of things in the DCEU, which... You know, as a Batman fan, I, I'm not going to complain about it. Complain about it at all because you know Nightwing and Batgirl, like I said, they're two great characters who deserve their own movies. But at the same time, I just hope the attention doesn't go straight or only focused on that Batman corner when you know how vast the DC movie universe is. So I think that could kind of go towards the point you were making a little bit earlier, where you know they're maybe thinking too far ahead on the lines of Batman when maybe they should focusing on getting the larger DC universe. Uh, up and running because you know Flash is still in limbo right now and you haven't heard too much on the Cyborg front and that was in their initial release slate so yeah, I don't know, we'll see how things start forming up down the line probably after Justice League and that's the big thing how the reception for Justice League is and maybe that's going to be uh, the catalyst as far as Warner Brothers really getting those other DC properties up and running instead like how it is right now where they're just mainly focusing on these Batman movies down the line yeah, well, I mean, I I honestly don't blame them if they're um, uh, approaching this from the the Batman side because they know that that's a winning formula. It's exactly you know, it's Batman, and they've put put out all these movies about Batman, and they know that 
you know, people will see the Batman movies, so I don't really blame them. But um, going back to the announcement thing, I I just look at, you know, the, the, the Flash movie, how that was announced super early. And what happened? What happened with the director, you know? Two um, directors. <laughs> two directors, sorry. What happened with Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman is announced too early, and they lost their director. Um, there was rumors about the Aquaman, Aquaman movie, and um, that director not being very happy with what, uh, you know, making yeah. that movie. So Yeah, there was rumblings about that. That's right. I think, I think that this movie is being announced way too early. And I mean, it, it, it's not just Batman movies I'm talking about. I, th- I think it's all about the timing on these announcements. You can't just announce something and everybody gets excited and you lose your director, you lose your writer, you know, you lose your main actor, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's just too early and maybe they should, they should play things closer to the chest and they should just focus on this Wonder Woman movie uh, and the Justice League movie because and of course the Aquaman movie but I guess you know if we're talking about time the the Wonder Woman movie specifically because that's I, I think that's the movie that's gonna get me if, if, if it's good it's gonna get me excited for Justice League and, mm-hmm. and Sure. Just to see what uh, Justice League has to offer, because I don't know. I just, I just think that they should solely focus on uh, One Roman and Justice League. Their whole team should be be behind those two movies. And this Batgirl movie, the Nightwing movie, the Flash movie, Green Lantern Corps movie, whatever else move, you know, whatever else they they have planned. I think that should be, you know, not announced. You know, it, it shouldn't be out there. They should be working on it slowly to make sure that they get it right. And their, but their main focus should be this Wonder Woman movie and Justice League. Yeah, you brought up uh, an interesting point where I will say that's the one thing to be cautious of right now. Where even though it's being reported right now, Josh Whedon is going to be the writer and director for this. That could change, unfortunately. <laughs> like you mentioned with the Flash movie and Wonder Woman losing their initial directors. And unfortunately, that's happened a little too much than I'd like to admit for this DC Extended Universe. I mean, even Ben Affleck leaving the Batman movie. So hopefully that's not a trend that will continue with this because... Yeah, I'd be really bummed if I find out later that Josh Whedon ends up leaving this for creative differences, especially if right. it was something that was his idea and his baby and his story that he wanted to tell. But then he leaves, and then but Warner Brothers goes, if we still want to make this Batgirl movie, then it might be something totally indifferent. So that is the one cautious uh, yeah. area I would have about this announcement. It's not set in stone right now that Josh is going to be writing and directing this movie. Yeah, and you know what I don't like is when... Uh, let's say a writer director comes in Hmm. and says, you know, I'm going to make this movie. He writes, he or she writes it and, you know, puts a lot of thought into it. And then, um, 
they leave the project and then the new person comes in and then they try to put their own spin on it and Mm -hmm. they chop off what that original person had and it's not such a great movie after i mean after all that you know Mm -hmm. yeah then we have to just find a director at the last minute to fill in and just to kind of point and shoot right. the camera without really having too much input in the script or whatnot because yeah. that's not going to be good for anybody so <laughs> yeah so i'm excited for it but at the same time dane you bring up some great points as far as to being a little cautious about it right now but let's just geek out for a little bit right now let's say we're getting the perfect background movie let's talk about some of the stuff we hope to see in this movie because it's going to be exciting once we do get it and hopefully it turns out great so there is definitely a bunch of different ways they can go about making a Batgirl movie. And I believe, because it, uh, it was Variety, he broke the story about it being announced. But I think Entertainment Weekly put out an article a little bit afterwards saying that the plan is to have Barbara Gordon uh, be Batgirl in this. But as you know, there's been tons of other Batgirls <laughs> and other characters to hold that mantle. And Partyman was thinking before, you know, just thinking that it's not necessarily set in stone that it's going to be Barbara. What would be the best... I think story to tell in this DC extended universe with Batgirl because part of me was thinking where you know well if Barbara is you know Oracle at a point and maybe she was paralyzed by the Joker in this universe yeah I think it could have made for a cool movie if we see her kind of being a mentor maybe training the next Batgirl whether it's Cassandra Kane, which I would love to see or Stephanie Brown that could have made for a, a cool story for you're seeing the next Batgirl uh take the mantle and i always like those stories where you see the old hero uh train the the new one to take on the mantle i mean one of my favorite movies was uh the mask of zorro from 1998 i love that story of how the original zorro trained the new one so something like that i think could be cool but if they are gonna go about where it's barbara gordon um as batgirl that does beg the question too well which route they're gonna go is it gonna be an older barbara where you know she uh, has been around for a while. Maybe she was paralyzed by the Joker, but kind of like they go the new 52 route and she's able to uh, get her, uh, she's able to get uh, her legs back. No, no, no. I'm, so- I'm sorry. I got to cut you off there, Tim, because <laughs> I think that would be a bad idea to use the new 52 story. Uh, and you know what? I probably would agree with you. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> really well done. And a lot of things were left unexplained. Or, yeah, was that ever explained? I don't <laughs> know. I don't think I, I read it where it was. I didn't stick around, stick around long enough to find out. Uh, because it, I think it was like 20-something, 20 21, 22 issues in. I yeah. just sort of stopped reading it. <laughs> I mean, because we got no indication of how she uh, regained her... Uh, her legs, I guess. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, yeah, that I'm with would you. be a bad idea. Yeah, I know that would probably be an option that was out there, which is kind of why I mentioned it, this as a possibility, yeah. but that's something I wouldn't want to see. If they're going to have it where Bar- Barbara was paralyzed by the Joker and she was Oracle, that's where I'd rather see her, you know, kind of mentor a new Batgirl. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the best idea, to be honest, because I know, I know they want to kind of connect it, I mean, connect probably this movie with the the larger picture so you have the of course yeah. you, you know you have the barbara gordon you have commissioner gordon and i think that would be a great idea especially if it's somebody like cat like cassandra mm-hmm. i think i said this on that the last so cool. episode um it would be interesting to see i mean especially because she, she has a history with batman 
And I think it would be interesting to see uh, somebody that doesn't talk <laughs> in, a, in a major yeah. <laughs> superhero movie. You know, and I think that... Um, I mean, Oracle, just look at yeah. uh, Laura from Logan, how great she was, and she barely had any lines right. to the end of the movie. She was one of the best parts of the movie, so that could work really well. Right, right. And then you have Barbara Gordon uh, as, as Oracle. And, you, you know, you can... You can have her as that mentor, you know. Mm. Yeah. So, but kind of what I think is going to happen, and I don't think this is really would be the worst thing in the world, but I think they are going to introduce Barbara, kind of as a younger character, and just have her be introduced as Batgirl for the first time in this DC extended universe. I mean, it's going to be a little weird because you know Batman's been around for twenty years, and. They're probably going to have Barbara be a lot younger than Bruce, which I guess is good, so we don't have to worry about any of those Bruce-Barbara yeah. <laughs> romantic relationships <laughs> like the Killing Joke had, which made it really, really bad. <laughs> so to go that route, that'd be for the best. So I think that'd be the way to go if you know they want Barbara as Batgirl, but you know just have her be a younger character and still make her debut as Batgirl, yeah. maybe because you know uh, seeing. Batman team up with the Justice League or this, the new state of the world with all these aliens and stuff coming around it just inspires her you know time to do something and the one she looks up to most is Batman and of course being Commissioner Gordon's daughter uh, you know she'd have the most access to see Batman and the way he uh, fights crime and all that so she'd want to yeah. be like him so I think those are the different ways you can go as long as you know uh, they don't do it in a way where it just a way that's both accessible to a new audience being introduced to Batgirl and for us comic fans to know that they're respecting her history and, and all that. It's going to be one of those scenarios where it has to be the right balance of both. And I think Josh Whedon can pull that off. So I'm excited for it. And the potential story ideas are really cool. And it begs the question that, you know, who else would show up in Batgirl's movie? Who would her villain be? Will Dick slash Nightwing have a role in it, which I kind of hoping would be the case? Because I think... Well, you know, we don't know. But they announced the Nightwing movie uh, before this one. So maybe the Nightwing film will come out first and Dick can show up in the Batgirl movie. If it's anything like the dynamic Dick and Barbara had in Batman the Animated Series, that would be fantastic. Because Dick, as Robin at the time, when Batgirl first showed up in the Animated Series, the banter they had together was just so great. And you know they had a romantic relationship outside of their hero personas. But yet when they're... uh, together as Robin and Batgirl, they were both kind of annoyed with each other, and they talked smack to each other, because they didn't know their identities just yet, and it made for a great dynamic, especially then later, once Dick found out she was Batgirl, and how <laughs> badly he took it, knowing that Bruce knew, and he didn't tell him and all that, so there's potential for a different uh, drama to be had there amongst the char- those characters, so yeah. the potential is all there, I just, it's up to the filmmakers to pull it off. Yeah, but that being said, I think I know what we're going to or what the background movie is going to be. It's going to be an original story. It's going to be Babs. Um, I don't think they're going to go with any other Batgirl. I think they're. it's going to be about Babs, and it's going to be an origin story. And, um, yeah, that's going to be it. Which is fine. I mean, as long as they do yeah. it well enough and it makes sense in the universe and it's not Barbara Wilson the niece of Alfred oh. I think we're all <laughs> gonna be fine Sad <laughs> to bring that up right yeah <laughs> maybe Alicia Silverstone can make a cameo in the movie or something <laughs> didn't she live in uh, England too 
Yeah. Is it like in a boarding school or something? I give she didn't uh, have an accent, a British accent. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, that movie. <laughs> Yeah, at least they don't have to worry about the bad uh, name recognition of Barbara Gordon from that film since they changed their name to Wilson for some reason. <laughs> it's like, why? Why do they... Uh... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, let's not bring down the conversation. Right, much, right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was about to say this is her first appearance in a live-action movie, but and it still is, I think. Because... Yeah, because it's Gordon, <laughs> not I Wilson. Know. I don't think uh, Batman and Robin comes. <laughs> yeah, I just and I, you know me. I don't really like to fan cast that much. Yeah. I just leave it to the filmmakers to cast the right person and not necessarily be a well-known name, and which I always think is a better case scenario when that happens. But I do like to think about what costume she would have, and you know, Barbara's had, or not even just Barbara, but the Batgirl name has so many great costumes, and probably my favorite is Cassandra Cain's, where the whole face is covered. I just love that design. But I don't think they're going to go that route right away, and especially with it being Barbara. Because if at some point way down the line we do get Cassandra Kane in a movie, she has to have that costume. And I'd like it to save it for her. But for Barbara, I would kind of like it if it's just the classic, the Batman, uh, the new Batman Adventures in the animated series, and kind of the one she had when the New Fifty Two started, where it was pretty much all black with a little hint of blue and yellow behind the cape. I just love that costume and. I think that could look really cool on screen, so hopefully they'll go with that one, but yeah. there's plenty of other ones you can choose from, that's for sure. You know what I, I mean, I was just listening to you talk there, and I was thinking about Batman and Robin. How, how did they How did they make her suit so fast? <laughs> yeah, did she, I remember she had, she she had like access some code in the back cave yeah. or something like was it there all along or something <laughs> yeah i don't know was it there? i mean am i not remembering something was it already there or did they make it i mean if if, if that's the case how, if they, i mean if they did make it how do they make two so fast yeah she has the regular <laughs> one and she has that chrome looking one you know uh, like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they didn't bother to explain it. Yeah, let's take it. Yeah. As they are already. <laughs> Batman made it a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> he always knew somehow, some way, Alfred's niece would come to the Batcave and need to suit up. <laughs> um, but um, as for this uh, Batgirl movie, I think even though even though the story wasn't that good, I think the new Fifty Two. Uh, a costume would be the best. Yeah. Yeah. That's my right there with you. <laughs> so yeah, that's our reaction and I ideas for stuff we'd hope to see in the background movie. So hopefully we'll yeah. hear more about it maybe at Comic Con, get some official confirmation that Josh Whedon is, you know, working on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a done deal and maybe get a release date down the line. So just glad, you know, the Batman corner of the D C movie universe is coming along nicely. So Yeah. But with that, we can go ahead and get into some news and discussion topics. Um, got a, quite a bit of comic book news of the last few weeks. Um, first one being that Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's next DC project has finally been announced. You know, they've been teasing a bit for a while now, saying that they're working on something big. It's our biggest project ever. It's going to be amazing. And it's been announced as DC Metal. And this one, they're kind of still being a little vague about it, but they're just teasing about it, you know, heroes you know what it's like with the decisions they don't make like the ramifications of that and how it's going to be 
you know, a little bit of a horror style with some nightmare elements to it. Um, he says, I believe one of the quotes was that uh, it's going to open up a world that are forged by nightmares. And what's cool about this one and what I was hoping for, that their next project just wasn't Batman-focused. But it, it does seem like Batman is going to be the central figure of the story, but it's more of a DC Universe story, which kind of what I was hoping for because I want to see more of Scott Snyder tackling the rest of the DC characters. So um, I'm glad that it's going to be a DC-wide universe event, not just Batman. And I'm just curious to see, you know, how, what the story is going to be because they haven't really said what. And he's teasing us saying he started dropping clues in the Court of Owls and he had some uh, incident in his last issue in Batman 50. But, I don't know, it's almost like the Grant Morrison effect where <laughs> he laid down clues and hints in his issues for some of his stories that I never picked, on him, picked up on him right away. And just when I read this, like going back thinking about Court of Owls, like I don't think I missed anything, but now that he mentions it, I'm sure I did. But it's going to be fun to once you read this to go back to those old issues and see uh, where he laid out some of those clues for those stories. So sounds like a cool idea. They had some covers on the DC's website, which is you know Batman with these two battle axes, and it just says metal on there, him behind a big explosion. So it's going to be curious. I um, can't wait to find out more about it. So uh, I think it's going to. Did they say when it's coming out? Uh, yeah, just later this summer, they said. So we'll probably hear more about it at Comic-Con, I would imagine. But yeah, um, I don't know. What about you, Dane? Does this get you excited at all? Or do you remember <laughs> any clues that you remember that I did it for those early issues that uh, maybe would lead it to this? Not really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe the maze in, I don't know, in the Court of maybe, Owls. you never yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but is this going to be like a... Because I'm reading the, the, the press release, and it says, Their highly anticipated event, Dark Knight's Metal, uh, will rock comics this summer. So is this going to be like a, a music-themed um, uh, uh, story? You know what? <laughs> Part of me thinks there is going to be a little bit of that. There's going to yeah. be like a heavy metal theme to it. And <laughs> if anyone can make that work into a Batman DC Universe story, it's Scott Snyder. So yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. Right, right. Oh, yeah, we should mentioned to you that on our last episode we talked about uh, the Dark Days uh, comics or one-shot issues those are pretty much going to be the lead up to this story so um, we'll be getting our first hints at what this story is actually going to be once those one-shot stories come out so hopefully this is just another great story from Scott Snyder which I have no reason to doubt it will be and then also on the Batman uh, just the Batman title front uh, Tom King revealed what his next arc is going to be after the Flash Batman team up. And this one has me excited too. And I got to say, as much as I criticized Tom King early on in his Batman run, he's been on a roll with uh, I am Bane. And then the button has me excited with the Batman and Flash team up. And then this new story called uh, the war of jokes and riddles, which is going to be a flashback story that takes place uh, a little bit after zero year. And it's going to talk about, you know, a war that kind of the Joker and Riddler had as, you know, they're each one of them wants to take out Batman and they come to blows because of that. So we're going to see these villains as the untold story between the, uh, these two classic villains. And I'm excited for it because Joker is obviously the greatest Batman villain and Riddler is definitely on the top tier of Batman villains. And to see them have a little mini uh, fight with each other over <laughs> who deserves to take out Batman, I think should be pretty fun. So yeah, I'm excited for a lot of stuff on the comic front on the, for Batman the next few months and over the summer with Scott Snyder and Greg Capillo's new event, the, I, the button story, and now this. So 
yeah, I think it's going to be a fun ride for Batman comics. And, you know, Detective Comics has been on a roll, too. So it's all is looking pretty well, I have to say, on the Batman comic front. You know who I miss in uh, Batman comics is uh, Greg Hurwitz. I, uh, yeah. I, I yeah, reread I uh, his Penguin, Pain and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a good story. Like it, it still holds up, even though it's not really relevant anymore. <laughs> mm. <laughs> hey, that's a sign of a good story. Yeah, yeah, it still holds up. I'm, he was such a great writer. I don't know why he left DC, or uh, I think it was to um, work on his book stuff. Yeah, that, I think that like was a novelist. The yeah. Mm. But yeah. Huh. Uh, I agree with you. I miss his stuff too, and his run on the Dark Knight saved that title. <laughs> I don't know how bad that was. <laughs> Scarecrow and his um, Mad Hatter. Yeah, those are great. Yeah, I-, I wonder what he would do with Mister Freeze. You know, I mean, I know it's a touchy subject on this podcast because mm. you know <laughs> Tim is Tim is an animated series lover, and I'm just wondering what he would he would do with that i wonder if it would be good i I wonder if you would like it well i don't think it could be much worse than what the new 52 version was and still my one big knock on scott snyder (laughs) (laughs) his origin for mr free (sighs) see when's rebirth gonna change that and go move it back to what (laughs) we knew before that continuity they just did it with superman right now which is great where pretty much his a pre-New 52 continuity is known by everyone in this new universe. It was done a great job. I had to deal with Mr. Mix, yes, Pitlick. It was a really fun story. So they can do that with Superman. They can easily do it for Mr. Freeze. Yeah, and it, isn't Superman in uh, Rebirth just like a regular guy? Like, um, no. A, oh, I thought he had a family and everything. He did, but oh, I thought, as far as like no powers, you mean? No, no, no. Like, okay. he, uh, you know, had a family, had a wife. Yeah. You know, he has a son. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Honestly, like when you read that, he's like, I don't know if that's gonna work for Superman, but <laughs> it's been the best Superman story I've read in years. It's really? been so so good. Yeah, <laughs> the family dynamic was what really makes it work. Oh wow! So yeah, it's been one of the best Rebirth books out there. Better than uh, Batman. At the beginning, yes, definitely yes. <laughs> <laughs> Batman is just starting to catch up to how good Superman was now, so oh. it's making its way there, but. Superman was definitely one of the better ones. Yeah, good. Both Superman and Action Comics, they've both been really... Like, got started off Superman being the best, but Action Comics being solid. Then lately, it was Action Comics being the best, and Superman still being good, but not... It's kind of lowered a little bit. But they just had a crossover event, like I said, that dealt with Mr. Mixie as Pitlick. Yeah. And they it was, they were firing on all cylinders when they were doing that crossover. It was really, really good. Oh, good. Well, it's it's good to hear that you know, um, especially especially books like uh, um, action and detective are doing really good. Yeah, because you know, it's, yeah, it's the flagship books, so it's good to hear. I should, I should say too, uh, Super Sons that are about uh, Damien and John Kent, yeah. Superman son. That's been really fun too. <laughs> yeah. The dynamic Damien and uh, John Kent have is exactly what you expect. <laughs> so I'd recommend that one too. But uh, Supergirl. Supergirl, I haven't picked up. No. I haven't been reading that one, so it's one of those things where I can't get everything. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, uh, the last bit of news that we have is on the animated front, and this is another thing I'm really excited for. The next DC Universe animated movie is going to be Batman and Harley, 
and from the voice cast and the animation style, I mean, I couldn't be happier. It's like the Batman the Animated Series is coming back for a movie <laughs> and the new Batman Adventures because uh, I believe it was Empire Online. They had the first look at uh, a screenshot of it, the voice cast, and the designs for Batman, Nightwing, and Harley straight out of the new Adventures of Batman, which was my favorite part of Batman the Animated Series. And you got Kevin Conroy back as Batman, which, of course, is always awesome. But Lauren Lester... The voice of Dick Grayson from the animated series is coming back after so long. I'm not voicing the character, and uh, I can't tell you how excited I am for that. You know, you know, he's my definitive voice for Dick Grayson, and he did such a great job. And to have him back in a new movie with Kevin Conroy, again, it's going to be great. I'm excited for it. And uh, for Harley, this is the only part that's a little disappointing. It's not Arlene Sorkin coming back. I kind of thought that's maybe they'd have, how they go about it since they're bringing back Kevin Conroy and Lauren Lester, but it's going to be uh, Melissa Roch from The Big Bang Theory who's going to be voicing her. And she does have kind of a high-pitched voice we could see her doing Harley. And uh, the Teen Titans Judas Contract movie came out on uh, digital this, this week, and they had the special feature, like the inside look for this movie on there. And it came out on YouTube, and they had uh, got to see what she'd sound like as Harley. And she sounded like she's going to do a good job of... Uh, as not quite as iconic as Arlene Sorkin's Harley, but she sounds like she can do, you know, a Harley that's uh, she's going to do justice to the character. So, all around, I'm excited for it. It's going to be like Batman the Animated Series return. So, I <laughs> uh, don't think they have an exact release date for this one yet. It's probably going to be in the summer, but I'm definitely going to be looking forward to it. It's <laughs> just great to have these voice actors back and this animation style in particular. So, yeah. Right. Uh, but, uh, Speaking of like DVDs and stuff, what what do you think about uh, the special features on Rogue One? Ah, nice. Yeah. So yeah. I should say, as we're recording this podcast right now, it's April eighth. I haven't yet watched the movie. Tonight is the home premiere. <laughs> we're gonna watch it with some family. <laughs> so I haven't seen the actual movie yet because I got to see it in you know the theater room that we have set up yeah. for the first viewing. Like I gotta have that be the first and after that i'll watch it anytime i want a few <laughs> scenes here and there but i did watch the special features on tuesday when i got the blu-ray and and they were good but i just wish there was a little more to them they went by so fast because yeah. i liked how there was a section for each character in the movie which i thought was cool but i just wanted more of it because you know there's so much they can talk about and i just wish there was a longer documentary kind of on the development and the making that making of the actual movie kind of like how we had with the force awakens had it but to me the standard is the episode one documentary called the beginning which just oh, was so good it's still my favorite special feature documentary that just took you took you all the way from the starting process of it to casting to you know the table read first uh, day of principal photography post-production the editing the sound mix everything involved up to, to its release it was just a great well-paced documentary of how they made that movie and i just kind of want that for all star wars films now because <laughs> it's just so good so in the end i think they were good just not great you know there was no deleted scenes on there no commentary but what we got i did enjoy for what was there i was surprised there were no deleted scenes um yeah and also i i just wish there was more with uh uh john Knoll because i yeah that was the best part i thought yeah because the I mean, he, he he's talking about. I mean, there, there's like a couple scenes where he's talking about how he came up with the the um, story for the movie, stuff like that. But I, I, 
I wish, I don't know. I wish, I, I just wish there was like a sit down conversation with him. Like kind of like when, um, you know, the, uh, Disney bought Lucasfilm where it was mm-hmm. a sit down with George Lucas and Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. And they were just talking about, you know, their story ideas and stuff or where the franchise was going to go. I, I wish there was something like that with John Noel, but, um, yeah, I, there wasn't. And as, as for the deleted scenes, I was kind of let down by that too, because there were a lot of cool scenes and, um, you know, I was, I was wondering, you know, like, you know, you could see the deleted scenes, Dane. Where? Just watch all the trailers. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, <laughs> was about to say because there's a lot of cool scenes in the trailers. Um, but then I was reading this article again, and um, it's it, it, it seems like a lot of these shots that were in the trailer were just speci- specifically for the trailer, and some of them were, were not even official shots, like uh, when uh, Jin is standing in her. Um, you know that that black outfit and she turns around and lights come on yeah yeah that's like a that that's uh felicity jones just standing there you know that 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 wasn't an official shot she was just looking at the production crew as the the thing was lighting up and that scene with um oh man i forget his name uh ben mendelson like uh, yeah krennic just standing there you know, with his cape, he's yep. just standing there. It is just a shot of Ben Mendelsohn standing there uh, be- between shots. Same, same thing with uh, Felicity Jones. I didn't even know that. It's like, how, how come they put that in the trailer? Just because it looked cool? Pretty much, yeah. Because yeah. the, uh, the other big one was in the second trailer where Jin's walking down that catwalk and that TIE fighter flies right in front of her. Yeah. So like kind of having a stare down with it. Yeah. We know that wasn't in the movie. And that was just something... You know, they were testing in the editing room and the effects were seeing how things look, and they never intended that for to be in the movie. But the marketing department's like, oh, this is a cool shot. we got to use this as a trailer. And I think even Gareth Edwards says, oh, you know, this isn't in the movie, right? And the marketing's like, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, like, okay. <laughs> so I think it's the marketing department's fault that, and they have to change the way they're doing these things because yeah. I think I said it on this podcast when we talked about Rogue One, but I definitely said it on The Saga Continues where my one of my biggest gripes about the movie was all the stuff they advertised in the trailer that looked so cool that wasn't in the movie. I mean, the whole sequence of Jin, Cassian, and K2SO storming down the beach and being attacked on by AT-ATs, or not AT-ATs, AT-ACTs. Yeah. <laughs> that was a moment in the trailer like, oh, I can't wait to see this in the movie. Yeah. And it wasn't there. And see, that was a sequence I think should have been on the DVD or the Blu-ray. Because right, you know that's a right. sequence down there. They just cut it because, you know, it took too much time. They had to go to one end of the planet to get the plans, and they had to go to another end of it, to another bunker to transmit the plans. So yeah. it, it, that sequence is out there somewhere. I would have loved to see that. Well, and plus, too, um, they also said in this article that they they massively changed that ending. Mm-hmm, that's one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah on, um, um, you see, I, for, I forget the <laughs> name of the planet. Scarif. Yeah, Scarif. They, they changed you that. You gotta watch whole, it more, Dean. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. They they changed that whole ending part, and I mean, I I can understand that if you if you want to create a scene, um, you know, like the 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 Tie Fighter rising up as Jin is walking towards it, but I don't I don't understand why you would use footage of like say Felicity Jones in between shots and the lighting guys 
testing the lights, you know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know I don't know why you would use that or Ben Mendelssohn just standing there. <laughs> it just looks cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> I guess, guess that's all that the marketing marketing department cares about. <laughs> I guess. So yeah, I can't wait to watch it a little later tonight. Oh good, good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so with that, that's it for our news and discussion topics. But before we get into our conversation with Alex and our listener feedback, it's time for our album reviews. And Dane, <laughs> you said on our last episode, your album yeah. is going to be Dashboard Confessional. So yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to see, you know, was it as boring <laughs> as we were expecting or did it surprise you? Um, well, it definitely didn't surprise me because I knew <laughs> I knew what uh, Dashboard Confessional was. Um, let's just start off with the positives, right? Um, okay. Oh, yeah. First off, what was the name of the album you were reviewing again? Oh, sorry. Uh, the Places You Have Come to Fear the Most, okay. which is off of, which is, you know, I guess a, a name of, of the song. I'm not sure. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure where that title comes from. Um, oh, it just sounded good <laughs> for an album title, I guess. Let me. Uh... Oh, okay, so it's the ninth song on the album. It's ten songs. That that was okay. yeah. That, that was the ninth song. Um, let's start off with the positives, Tim. I thought the singing was okay, uh, and I felt that uh, the sound of the acoustic guitars. It sounds like they recorded it once and they doubled it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that sounded. Uh, good. Uh, the best songs to me on the album were the songs with the the whole band, not just um, the singer and the guitar, the, the the acoustic guitar, because it it became repetitive. And you know, the, the guitar riffs became very very repeti- repetitive in you know in the space of you know a f- three four minute song. So that was definitely a negative because. It's just like the same riff over and over again. The acoustic guitar being picked and strummed yeah. really loud, you know. And I think this is kind of in the sense. Now I'm not comparing the two bands. I'm comparing how they sound. Um, this is kind of like kind of reminds me of a, a Nirvana album where they have the loud. <laughs> now l- l- let me explain to him. Okay. Yes. Please. <laughs> where where they, where they have the loud, quiet, loud thing. Where you know the 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 sort of regular song is loud and then quiet and then loud, right? Yeah, uh, I think they tried to go for that effect. Where, um, not, but do they even have like distort? They use any distortion pedals on there? Or is no. it just all like an acoustic guitar getting a little louder yeah, and then even more quieter than normal? It's, it's all acoustic guitars, and I think that. Uh, where Nirvana, used, I don't particularly think Nirvana used that for uh, emotion, you know, to dis- to describe heartache. I guess mm-hmm. um, Dashboard Confessional does that, and I don't know if that really works for what they're trying to say. Um, I guess it does. Um, apparently, this is one of the considered one of the best email. Emo albums of all time, because <laughs> okay. uh, there's a list um, from Rolling Stone that I looked at. Um, but yeah, this wasn't a good album. Um, I think 
this is <laughs> I'm sorry if you like I'm sorry if you like dashboard confessional and you're listening to this but it seems like this is just a plain album it doesn't really do anything to impress you um, the guitarists are repetitive it's kind of like you're listening to the same song over and over again you know you, you, you have the solo acoustic song and then you have the acoustic song with the band behind them um, so it's it's just a really really plain album that doesn't really do anything to really do anything <laughs> to be honest uh, I didn't really have a favorite song uh, I thought that some of the bridges in the song were interesting but besides that it's pretty much just uh, it's it's just a plain album like I said um, so I'm probably going to give this like a 1 out of 5 well I can't say I'm too surprised that yeah. was kind of what I was expecting <laughs> just a plain album that sounded repetitive with those acoustic guitars which probably ended up being a boring listen but didn't you say you were looking for the shortest album of their collection? So yeah. it wasn't too bad where like, you had to sit through yeah. an hour or 40 minutes of all the same thing. Yeah, that's definitely a positive because um, it was a short album. And I didn't. Re- the, the, the songs are really short, of course. And <laughs> even then, though, the songs started to feel. <laughs> Still felt like forever. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it, it felt repetitive in the sense where it's like I've heard this song just with a different kind of beat, you know. Um, I just thought that that was the, the, the worst problem of this album is that it just sounds the same. Uh, there's not really any sort of change. So that's why one out of five for me. <laughs> Uh, sounds about right. <laughs> All right. So for me, Dane, you gave me the album David Comes to Life by a band called uh, Blank Up. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say. You could probably figure out what the blank stands for. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Which I got to say, you know, for a band that has that as their name, there wasn't a lot of swearing or <laughs> on the album, which is nice. But you would figure with they had their name like that, it's going to be a bunch of cussing and all that. But that wasn't the case. Yeah. And I have to say, this isn't kind of, you know, one of my favorite records. This is just a an album that I heard that I thought was interesting, mm-hmm. you know. And yes, it's definitely a concept album. <laughs> I had to make sure with you do a text again. But. <laughs> Not only that, it's also a rock opera, Tim. Uh, yeah. So right off the bat, I, I got to be honest, I didn't really because I it's pretty much I just listened to it while I'm working, so I couldn't really digest and take in the lyrics. Yeah. As they were the guy was singing but it, apparently it's about a i guess a relationship between the guy named david and the girl named veronica if i remember yeah so yeah i'm split on this one because musically i thought it was really really good i love the sound of this album the distorted guitars had a nice clean sound some great riffs great solos and bridges just a lot of great stuff musically i really dug it and the musically was different too. You got the hard, fast-paced styles, and some songs would start off a little slower, kind of with an acoustic guitar, and some great pedal effects in there too. But kind of like you were saying with Dashboard Confessional, how it felt repetitive with the acoustic guitar styles that they were going for, the singing on this record got really repetitive. It's 
I mean, it's right off the bat. Every song is with the singer kind of just screaming throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And I'm all for screaming in music. I mean, when it calls for it, but when it's the same thing over every single song, it gets tiring. And that was the case with this. I mean, really didn't have very good uh, vocal melodies to the songs, which is really important for me. Kind of the thing I'd look for in songs. And uh, just this singer didn't have it. Some of it was there. Some of it was good that I liked, but just couldn't get into it because of that. And I think there was maybe two or three songs that had a girl singer come in. And that sounded good. It was like, could she sing more on this album? Because <laughs> <laughs> when she came in, it sounded good. But uh, the singer, I don't know his name, but change it up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and for a song that has 18 tracks and it's all nothing about, like, were you just screaming out the vocals for it? Yeah, just, yeah it didn't work for me. So Well, it's, it's the same problem I have with, with uh, metal of any type. Um, it's the same thing over and over again. The, the singer sounds exactly the same. Exactly, yep. yeah. Yeah, but musically, like I said, it was great. Some of my favorite songs musically were uh, one called A Little Death. I love the music for that song. And then I Was There, One More Night, uh, Queen of Hearts, The Other Side, A Slanted Tone, Life and Paper. Musically, those songs were really, really good. I mean, I could just probably listen to it if they didn't have the vocal track. <laughs> It'd be great. But yeah, so I'm kind of split on this one. For 18 tracks, it could have been it could have been a really solid album if the singer changed it up, changed it up a little bit, sang a different style for different the different songs, yeah. had some better melodies. It would have been really really good because it was like I was listening as the song started. I go, oh, this sounds cool. Then the singer comes in, oh, it sounds exactly the same like the last one. <laughs> the next song, oh, this is a cool opening. The singer comes in, oh, it sounds exactly the same. Like ah. it was frustrating listening to it because it had the potential to be really good. So I'm gonna give this one three out of five. Because, like I said, I loved it musically. Yeah. Really cool stuff, but the singing brought it down for me. Well, at least it was a uh, dashboard confessional. Yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> right, def- was definitely more exciting, I could say that. And I haven't even listened to yeah. the dashboard song <laughs> or album. <laughs> oh, and I forgot to uh, mention uh, my favorite songs from that album. Uh, <laughs> or was it just song? <laughs> uh, hold on, I'm trying to bring up the uh, track listing real quick. Um um. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 Would you even remember when you see it? <laughs> um. You know what? I don't have any favorite songs for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, are there any song titles on there where you thought, "Ooh, that's a good title. Maybe this song will sound good," but then you're disappointed <laughs> when you actually hear it? Uh, the places you have come to fear the most. <laughs> <laughs> Just the the title track on it. <laughs> yeah. Why not? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, okay, let me put real thought into this. All right, Tim. <sighs> um. You know what? The the second song, uh, the song called "Screaming Infidelities." I thought that was. I thought the bridge was good. Okay, so, yeah. so you had something with a good bridge. That's good to know. And apparently, that was the hit <laughs> of this album. So I'll just say that. <laughs> there you go. Just go with the one that everyone else I guess yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, well, hopefully, for our next episode, I'll give you something. Well, I didn't give you this. I should point that out yeah. <laughs> for those that didn't listen to our last episode <laughs> dashboard confessional was not my pick today <laughs> you have to make that clear <laughs> yeah. for some reason we just started talking about it and yeah. decided i'm gonna listen to it for our next episode <laughs> yeah i i definitely should have just had you give me a recommendation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well hopefully no matter what i give you 
uh, next time, even if you don't like it, it won't be as bad as Dashboard Confessional. <laughs> That'd be a win. Yeah. <laughs> but that's going to do it for our album reviews for this episode, and that can take us right into our conversation with Alex slash listener feedback. So, Dane, I'll throw it to you for Alex's email. All right, Alex says, hey, hey, thanks again for another great episode. I really enjoyed your discussions as usual. I've actually never watched a full sports game on TV in my entire life. Wow, really? Alex? Uh, <laughs> well, you got to change that with this World Series. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there hasn't been like a Game 7 or a, uh, you know, basketball final or a Super Bowl that you haven't watched through the whole thing. Hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, let this year be the year to yeah. see one final, <laughs> final championship for a team in some sport, whether yeah. it's baseball or the basketball coming up. Yeah. I've I've actually uh, I've never watched my life. I watched my siblings play sports though. My older sister my older sister actually broke school records, so I was really proud of her. I didn't oh, that's get, cool. I didn't get to play sports because of my health problems, but it didn't keep me from training to be Batman. And then later, like being, I guess that's what's happened. I guess that's what happens when your first TV show is Batman the animated series. She must have been the one that got me into Batman, either that or my uncle. He reported Batman the Animated Series on VHS for us. He's who I got a lot of my superhero knowledge from, come to think of it. I still think Lex Luthor is mad at Superman because he's the reason why he's bald. That's what my, that's what my uncle told me. Although, <laughs> I'm sure that plays a part of it. <laughs> yeah. Although I just saw a picture of my mom wearing a Batman shirt when she was three years old, so maybe she got me into Batman. The first movie I remember is Batman 66. So, uh, guys, do you remember how I told you about my dad who doesn't like anything remotely geeky, including Batman? Well, he brought up superheroes to me because I was wearing a red shirt that kind of looked like Spider-Man. And, well, he made fun of him. The point, though, is that it got to talking about how Batman is the only hero he thinks isn't remotely lame. But he still hates him. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, I guess it's a little progress, remotely lame instead of hating him. <laughs> he got me talking about Bane because when I was a kid, uh, he was the only character in Batman's entire mythos that made sense to me. I brought it up to you before, but I couldn't eat, but I couldn't even, I couldn't understand, I couldn't stand Joker as a kid, and I thought he was just as appealing as the kid who would eat his caps and boogers and give wit willies to the girls. <laughs> I started telling him Bane's story from Vengeance of Bane onward, and my dad actually said he liked him. I told him about Punisher, and he liked him. He hates superpowers, and he believes heroes should kill, so he'll never like Batman. I got him to like two geek, geeky things, though, Bane and Punisher. Well, hey, that's he, awesome. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what you should uh, get him to do is you should introduce him to the, the Daredevil series on Netflix. That's pretty I was just going to say the same thing, yeah. Dane. <laughs> That's pretty based in reality. Um, yeah, and especially if you got intrigued with Punisher Season 2. Yeah. I don't think you'd be disappointed with oh, that. Yeah. Uh, talking to him brought me back when Batman, Batman, X-Men, and Spider-Man were the only superheroes I liked. Hello, sorry, Tim. I don't like Spider-Man anymore. Oh, Alex, no. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, there's got to be something with Spider-Man to bring you back. Maybe the new movie, <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming, will do that, because Spider-Man is such a great character. And as to the music, Dane, ooh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, 
Down <laughs> with the sickness, bro. Uh, um, see, do you know what what Alex was referring to there, Dane? Yeah, the the the, the song "Down with the Sickness," right? Yeah. Or is it called? Is yeah. it called that? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I remember when that song was everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't like any of that stuff either. I used to, but it was a bunch of dark navel gazing junk. I forgot last week, but my all time favorite songs are actually "The Prayer" by uh, Andrea Bocelli and Celine Dion and Time to Say Goodbye by Andrea Bocelli and Sarah Brightman. Uh and as uh, of course uh, Alex always has questions so his first question is uh, what do you like about baseball and what, why do you prefer it over other sports yeah for me baseball it's just something that just even as a young kid it's almost like a family thing that we had my grandpa loved baseball he's actually tried out to for baseball they said he was too old but he was like only 21 or something like really? that <laughs> yeah he was a pretty good shortstop yeah. but so baseball has always been a part of my family my dad my uncles they always they played the game as kids they loved it and just kind of passed it down to me and my brothers and we loved playing it and then just getting into actually diving deeper into the sport and enjoying all the different aspects about it and I just love the sense of drama you get with it that I think no other sports can match, especially when you're in the bottom of the ninth. A team has a one-run lead, and there's two outs for the home team, and they're at bat. There's a runner on second. One hit could uh, win the game for them if they have two runners on. And like both teams are so close to victory, they can smell it. One of them either has to make one great pitch, and the other just has to get a good hit. So that's such a drama and nail-biting emotions that you have while you're watching it for a team you're really rooting for. There's nothing like it to me in, no, in other sports because there's no clock. And while there should probably be uh, moments where the game needs to speed up a little bit, but when it comes down to those big moments, you don't have to worry about, oh, we only got two minutes left or a minute left. I got to get this hit or I got to make this pitch. Nope. It all comes down to execution, and that's what I love about it. So those are kind of the main reasons why baseball is my favorite. Uh, for me, um, let me just start off by saying that I don't like math at all. I just don't like it, right? <laughs> I'm but, with you um, on that one. <laughs> I like the stats. I, I think it's the the only sport in the world where stats, you know, are uh, rules of game. You know, it's it's not about how you look out there because that can be very very deceiving. You know, you you, you have a a pitcher that has a hundred mile per hour fastball, right? But why is he so bad out there? You know, why does he give up so many home runs? Why why does he give up so many runs? It's because you know he can only throw a hundred mile per hour fastball, and he 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 doesn't have a breaking ball. He doesn't have a curve. You know, it it's it's stats like that, and the the stats don't lie, and. It's probably the only sport where you can look at the stats and you can get a true sense of who that player is and what he's good at. Mm. Um, it's, it's it's not so much about watching it, you know, because because a the games are so long. Um, I think they're like four or five hours, and B, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, sadly, the four hour bark is becoming more and more common yeah. for some games especially extra inning ones yeah. Yeah, that's why I pace the play I gotta do something about that yeah and the, the second reason is because they play so many games that you, you can you can make these uh, like like batting averages and you know, on base percentages and all sorts of stats like that 
Um, and I think that's what keeps me coming back to baseball is you can truly understand who the player is, even though, you know, you've never seen him pitch in his lifetime or whatever, you, you, mm-hmm. you know, you've never seen, um, uh, so-and-so get up to bat, but you can tell by, you know, uh, why is his on base percentage so low? Um, yet he hit, he, you know, he's hitting two two seventy five. you know, it's, it, it's sort of stuff like that, that really gets me interested. Uh, but a second question is what is your favorite indicator for evil for a character? For some reason, a go- goatee is one of them, but I don't know where it came from. <laughs> or the twirly mustache, <laughs> the long mustache of the villain twirls. But I think for me, uh, it's villains who are try to play the role as being nice and good, but you can tell the phonies, phoniness in them and how fake they are come off when they try to be nice or comforting, especially as like you know some of the. Uh, superhero TV shows where you see like big business corporation villains who they try to act all nice, but even before they're revealed as villains, you can just tell oh, they're bad. So it's kind of like that phoniness and that act they put on where it's just, ah, you know, they're really bad, even though it's not really revealed. You can just tell that kindness they show is not genuine. It's just phony. So I guess I'd go with that. I guess uh, my favorite indica- indicator for an evil character is no indicator at all. You know that mm-hmm. that that surprise where it's you know you, you don't even see it coming. So that's yeah. that's probably my favorite. Um, but his third question is: What are your top five animated characters for him? It's Goku. V- v- Come on, Dave. I know you can say it. <laughs> Though <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What is it? It's Vegeta. Oh, okay. I was going to say vegetable. Huh. Well, that's where the name came from, actually. Really? Yeah, it was derived from vegetable. Oh. You see, I know I, I know Dragon Ball, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you should have played it off that you do it all along. <laughs> uh, three is Homer Simpson, four, Bart Simpson, uh, and five is Wolverine. Yeah, this is a little tough because... You know, I love animation. <laughs> I could, man, I could break it up into categories like superhero characters, comedy characters. But if I had to pick five, definitely gonna go with Batman from Batman the Animated Series. I'll try to limit it to one per franchise or TV show. And for Dragon Ball, that's gonna be tough because Goku and Vegeta are great, but Piccolo is my favorite character, so I'll go with Piccolo. And on the Let's see. For the Clone Wars front, see, I'm going to go with Ahsoka because she was created for that show. And so far, all we've seen her in was animation. Even though you got Obi-Wan and Anakin, we all know them from the movies, so I'll give the nod to Ahsoka on that one. Then I'll agree with Alex since I'm a huge Simpson fan. I'm going to go with Homer as the best character. No other Simpson character makes me laugh the way Homer does. And then for the fifth one, hmm, I don't know. It's a little hard to tell on that one. I'm kind of in agreement with Alex here. Maybe it would be Wolverine from X-Men. So, yeah, I'll go with that one. Yeah, for me, of course, Batman from Batman the Animated Series 2. It's a tie between uh, Rex and Ahsoka from Clone Wars. Uh, oh, yeah, Rex. Let's see, oh, that's a great <laughs> one, too. <laughs> uh, because the only reason I didn't pick... Like I said, 
any of the clones because we've even though Rex you know, wasn't in the movies, yeah, we know the clones were in there. So I just kind of stuck to a character that was created from the ground up in yeah. Clone Wars. <laughs> but Rex is awesome. <laughs> um, three. I don't know, Tim. <laughs> um, let's go with Mr. Freeze. Number four. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to say... Ah, um, oh, Tim. You need to watch more cartoons, Dan. I guess not. <laughs> I, I, mean, I guess I do. I guess I do. Um, four, I'm probably going to say... Uh, you know what? Wolverine. <laughs> Five. Uh... Because yeah, Wolverine was great in the X Men cartoon, that's still my favorite version of Wolverine. His the voice actor, did his voice was great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what? I changed that. Four is Darth Maul from Clone Wars. Five is Wolverine. Okay. Yeah. Those are good choices. I mean, <laughs> I could have went like from the Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain are great characters, <laughs> Wacko Warner, the Good Feathers, those are great. Ninja Turtles, <laughs> there's so many great variations of that. So. I could go on and on for favorite cartoon characters. <laughs> but it's a great question, though, Alex. He says, take care, guys. You too, Jordan. Thank you so much for your responses, Alex. Awesome. And speaking of Jordan, we got his email right here. So Jordan says, hey, Tim and Dane. I was wondering why you guys didn't talk about the Wonder Woman trailer on episode 129. I didn't realize it hadn't been released yet at the time you recorded. Anyway, it was great to hear your thoughts on, on episode 30. Or episode 130, I should say. I really love this trailer. The shots of the mascara at the beginning are gorgeous. It really does look like a place worthy of the name Paradise Island. It juxtaposes quite effectively with the grimness of London in World War I that we later see. I love the scene where Queen Hippolyta is showing Diana the Godkiller sword. Whoever the young actress is who they got to play young Diana is really good. Her smirk when Hippolyta tells her that she is not one of the fiercest among them who could wield the sword totally reminds me of the smirk that Gal Gadot has in Batman v Superman when Doomsday knocks her to the ground. Yeah, that's a great call, Jordan. I remember uh, when I saw the new trailer, I was like thinking, yeah, that little kid's doing a great job, but didn't connect the two with that moment in Batman v Superman, which is great when she has that smirk and just goes on to take on Doomsday. So good call back there. He says, uh, the scene where Diana is training with General... Uh, and Antiop, I'm probably mispronouncing the. Not too familiar with all the Amazonian names, sorry. <laughs> I said that was amazing too. The shockwave she sends with her bracelets looks so cool there. The training reminds me a lot of Bruce's training with Raish in Batman's Begin. I think Chris Pine is going to be fantastic as Steve Trevor. He brings quite a bit of comic relief. He just has great timing, and the way he delivers his line about London not being for everyone cracks me up. The music in the trailer is excellent. When the trailer ramps up with the all with all the action sequences toward the end, it gets me so pumped. My favorite part is when General uh, Londendorf asks, "What are you?" Totally a nod to the beginning of Batman '89, and Diana responds with what I think is going to be basically her mission statement, a la Batman's "I am vengeance" line and Green Arrow's "I must become someone else." Um, Diana saying, "I am Diana of the Mascara, daughter of Hippolyta, and the name of all that is good. Your wrath upon this world is over." It gives me chills. Less than two more months to wait. Yeah, I can't believe it's only two more two months away. <laughs> That's great. Less than two months, actually. Man, it's going to be great, but yet uh, here before you know it, which is awesome. So, But, but time flies by so fast. <laughs> Especially with all these great movies coming out this year, it just means we're going to move even faster to The Last Jedi. <laughs> uh, Jordan continues saying, The Justice League trailer blew me away as well. 
I was sitting in a parking lot in my car when I first watched it, and I've never screamed so much in the course of two and a half minutes in my entire life. I'm sure anyone else who was in the parking lot thought I was crazy, but I don't care. Seeing the Justice League heroes together in a live-action movie is something I've been waiting to see probably ever since I first saw the Justice League animated series as a little kid. It's a dream come true. Warner Brothers did a great job getting me pumped leading up to the trailer. Those little trailer teasers for each character were great, as were the posters that were released. The Batman teaser provided my favorite shot of Batfleck yet, the one where he's perched up the statue with his cape. It's totally reminiscent of that Batman 608 second printing cover by Jim Lee of Batman standing atop a gargoyle overlooking Gotham, which I talked about on a recent email as being my all-time favorite Batman cover. The trailer begins with an amazing scene of Bruce that reminds me of two things. Bruce being on horseback calls back to The Dark Knight Returns, and him traveling through snowy mountains makes me think of him searching for the League of Shadows in Batman Begins. The shot pans through the heroes standing together with an orange-tinted background and reminds me of the intro from the original Justice League animated series. I really want to hear something inspired by the theme music from that show up somewhere in Junkie XL's Justice League movie score. I would go nuts if I heard that in the movie. The way Ezra Miller's Flash moves is incredible. It's so smooth, and the blue lightning looks really cool. Batman has some of his hilarious classic dry humor in the trailer. His I'm rich and maybe, and maybe temporary lines were so funny. That I am rich conversation with Barry reminded me of Batman's conversation with Hal Jordan in Justice League Origin and the Justice League War animated movie, where Hal is trying to figure out what Batman's superpower is, not realizing he doesn't have one. Aquaman in this trailer has some epic moments. The shot of him skewing a couple of parademons is great. He also shares with Batman my favorite scene of the trailer, which is when he leaps off the Batmobile and attacks some parademons. It's team-ups moments like those between the different heroes that are going to be what make this movie so special. I like how each one of the leaguers have some of their supporting cast members included in this movie. In the trailer, we see Silas Stone for Cyborg, the Amazons for Wonder Woman, although I think it's likely that that particular clip in the trailer is actually from the prologue we've heard about, where we see Darkseid's first invasion of Earth. Lois Lane for Superman, Henry Allen for Flash, Mera for Aquaman, and Commissioner Gordon for Batman. I wasn't expecting to see Mera, so that was another real highlight of the trailer for me. Much like Aquaman did in that little bit of footage Zack Snyder shared of him swimming, Mera looks great swimming as well. The use of Come Together was perfect. the perfect song for the Justice League finally uniting in a live-action movie. Anyway, I just can't wait for this film. I was so impressed by this trailer. I don't think I could be any more pumped for Justice League than I already was. But now I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to echo those uh, statements right there, Jordan. It got me pumped as well. And that was a good... Because uh, I don't think we talked about it too much on when we had our discussion as far as how each member had a little bit of the supporting cast in there. I mean, Mera, I think, was the big one as well as Gordon, but you're right, with Henry Allen, Silas Stone, and even the Amazons, that was good that we're seeing the different corners of these heroes and uh, the allies that they have in there. So that was a uh, cool nod that they put in there in the trailer. And then also, too, how that shot reminds you of Justice League Unlimited or the intro for the Justice League series. That <laughs> I've seen several people say that, and I think they're right. It does have a little bit of that feel to it. And you're 100% right, Jordan. They need an iconic theme song like the animated series had. And we got it. We got one from Wonder Woman. Superman's theme from Man of Steel is great. Batman's is okay. It's different. It's not horrible, but 
you know, nothing's going to top <laughs> Danny Elfman's and uh, even Hans Zimmer's one for Batman Begins is probably a little better, but I think we need an iconic thing for Justice League, something that gets stuck in your head, but it fits the dynamic of the team. So hopefully Junkie XL could provide one that's uh, one that the Justice League deserves. So we'll have to wait and see. And he continues saying, I'm stoked for this Dark Days slash Dark Nights event that's coming this summer. I watched the announcement at Fan Expo Dallas for Dark Knights, Metal, the main event that the two one-shots lead into, and it sounds like it's going to be really cool. The details are pretty vague, but it sounds like it's going to be a mystery, spanning the entire DCU, but starring Batman. I'm all for that. It'll be great to have Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo reuniting for it. It's just one more thing to be excited about this summer, joining Injustice 2, the Wonder Woman live-action movie, and the Batman and Harley Quinn animated film at the top of the list. Alex, it's always a pleasure to respond to your questions. It's a ton of fun to do so. As for my favorite songs of all time, that's a hard one, but I'll throw out several, in no particular order. Fields of Gold by Sting, I'll Be Around by The Spinners, This Town by uh, Niall Horan, I Never Even Told You by Tia uh, Karari, I probably mispronounced that too, but uh, that's the theme song from Mask of the Phantasm, and uh, Kiss from a Rose uh, by Seal, uh, the entire Batman Begins score, but especially uh, another name I'm probably going to mispronounce, Corinor Highness? <laughs> Cor- Corinorius? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, Hans Zimmer. Uh, Fight from the Man of Steel score and Beautiful Eye from the Batman v Superman score. I had actually seen Batmetal Returns, but I don't think I'd ever seen the first Batmetal before. Anyway, I just watched Batmetal for the first time and rewatched Batmetal Returns. I don't know enough about music to judge whether they're quality music. And that's subjective anyway. But I do think that they are pretty funny. They're just completely bonkers, and the music is pretty catchy in my opinion. I'm not really a fan of metal, but it works for me in these music videos. Yeah, I still gotta check those out. I know Alex mentioned that in the last email, and I I didn't watch it yet, and now Jordan is saying how he saw it, now it's kind of out there, but I still gotta check it out to see what I think. Because I do like some metal stuff, and if they do some cool covers of Batman uh, theme songs as metal, I think it'd be pretty cool. So I still have to check that out. And as for Alex's questions about the five or top five live action superhero characters, here's my list. Honorable mention, Manu Bennett as Deathstroke, but his uh, top five goes number five, Stephen Amell as Green Arrow. Number four, Ben Affleck as Batman. Number three, Heath Ledger as the Joker. Number two, Anne Hathaway as Selena Kyle. And number one, Christian Bale as Batman. I watched the Teen Titans, the Judas Contract animated movie, twice now actually, and I absolutely loved it. It was my most anticipated animated movie of the year, which is saying a lot that I really enjoyed Justice League Dark. I thought the Lego Batman movie was awesome, and I'm really looking forward to Batman and Harley Quinn. And this actually exceeded my expectations. In case you guys haven't seen it yet, it's only out on digital, I'll give my spoiler-free thoughts for now. It's honestly my favorite film in the DC animated movie universe, New 15, or <laughs> let me review that. It says it's honestly my new favorite film in the DCAUOM New 52 inspired shared universe so far. It has a great blend of emotion and comedy, which Teen Titans stories in general tend to be able to balance quite well. The film features a beautiful message about how the Teen Titans provides outcast teenagers a place where they finally belong, can have a family, as many of them have lost theirs for one reason or another, and can do good. Miguel uh, Ferrer, uh, rest in peace, does something I never thought that anyone would do. Gives a better Deathstroke voice performance than Ron Perlman did in the original Teen Titans animated series. It's absolutely menacing. He, is, he also has a very sarcastic sense of humor in the film that I find hilarious. 
It's the same kind of humor that the Joker has. It's funny, but you almost feel bad about laughing given how terrible what he's doing slash saying is. The rest of the voice cast is stellar as well. Some of the voice actors from Young Justice rephrased their roles, which was a lot of fun to hear, and hopefully it won't be too long before we hear them yet again in Season 3 of Young Justice. It would be easy for Brother Blood to get overshadowed by Deathstroke in the film, given how great Deathstroke is, but Brother Brother Blood is incredibly creepy in the movie, and is another formidable villain. Each member of the Teen Titans gets their time to shine in the movie, and the plot is compelling from beginning to end. I can't recommend it highly enough. Well, glad to hear you enjoyed it, Jordan, because I'm waiting for the Blu-ray to come out, which should probably be even another week or two, as the digital release tends to be two weeks earlier, if I remember right. But I can't wait for this one. I think the trailers look great. And like I said, this is a movie's long time coming. <laughs> it was the second one announced when Warner Brothers announced these DC animated movies. So I'm excited for it and glad to hear you enjoyed it. I know from the WonderCon premiere that they had for it last weekend, uh, people I've saw on Twitter saying it was really good there, so it's getting some good buzz, which has me excited. And he continues saying, as we usually do with these DCAUOM films, we got a featurette for the next movie in the line, Batman and Harley Quinn. I'm sure Tim especially will be excited for this. Oh, yes, I am, as you heard on our news talk discussion. Um, I love that it's being done in, in Bruce Tim's animation style, and it'll be great to hear Kevin Conroy and Lauren Lester back in the roles of Batman and Nightwing, respectively. They brought in a newcomer to voice Harley Quinn, Melissa Raj. I'm not familiar with her, but from what I've heard of her performance in the featurette, she sounds phenomenal. There are some really funny moments in the feature between Batman, Nightwing, and Harley. It seems like this movie is going to take inspiration from Batman the Animated Series. Well, really more so than the new Batman Adventures. I don't think it's actually set in the DCAU. Anyway, I definitely would check out the featurette if you haven't seen it already. I'm expecting this film to be an amazing celebration of the 25th anniversary of Harley. Yeah, that's a good point that maybe it is coming out this year because of the 25th anniversary of, you know, not only Harley, but Batman the Animated Series. And also a cool tie-in, too, that it's the 20th anniversary of the new Batman Adventures when it got revamped in 1997. So it's all working working out into a nice, uh, you know, way to celebrate those anniversaries with a new movie featuring probably the biggest character to come out of that. And at the same time, celebrating its 20th anniversary of its relaunch. So all around, great and perfect time to release this movie. And Jordan says, a couple of questions to wrap this one up. Did you guys see the image of Cress Williams as Black Lightning? And if so, what do you think? I think his suit looks really cool. It has sort of an armored look to it that reminds me a lot of Brandon Ross' um, Adam suit. I like that they changed the color scheme from the classic yellow, black, and blue to silver, black, and blue. I al- also, his domino mask is awesome. It's sort of a cross between the traditional domino mask and goggles. It's something you don't see very often. The only other characters that I can remember ever having that type of domino mask are Green Arrow during part of the New 52 and Arsenal and Rebirth. I'm sure there are probably others, though. Anyway, I really hope the show gets a series order. Yeah, I did check out uh, the first image of Black Lightning. Like you, I think it looks cool. It's, you know, modernized a little bit for the TV show, but at the same time, you can definitely tell that it's Black Lightning has the lightning... Uh, design going down his costume, but it's just not in that yellow color. So, yeah, I think it looks cool. Just, man, there's a lot of shows coming out now <laughs> that are DC related. I'm going to check out the pilot. Hopefully it's good enough where I could I stick with it, but it's getting hard to stick with all these superhero shows out right now. So, <laughs> it's, I guess, a good problem to have, but especially if they're all good. So, hopefully you just have enough time to watch all of them. But, hey, know, did um, you see that image, Dane? No, I didn't, but um, is Arrow still good? Arrow's been really good this yeah. 
since it came back from its uh, small hiatus that it had, yeah. they just had a reveal of who the main villain was, and it was really good before that. But once they revealed the identity of who the main villain was, it went to another level, almost to how it was during the glory days of season one and two. So <laughs> who, it's who definitely been it? a nice comeback. Okay, so spoiler alert yeah. for those who haven't seen Arrow this season yet. Uh, the main villain was Prometheus, but oh. it was revealed that he was who actually was him was a character named Adrian Trace, yeah. who was introduced pretty early in the season and was a district attorney who was working with Oliver as mayor and you know, helped him out with some really big situations. And the thing that made it a pretty cool twist is that Adrian Chase in the comics is the vil- or is a superhero vigilante. And they brought Vigilante into this, this show this season. And he has a great costume. I think one of the best costumes they had on uh, the CW universe. It looked really cool and faithful to the comic. So you just figured, okay, Adrian Chase is going to be Vigilante, just how it is in the comics. And they played it out where, you know, that's what you're thinking. For any fans familiar with the character, you're automatically going to assume that. And it fit his personality that he was having as the district attorney, as someone who wants to do good. But... It turned out he was actually the main villain, and it was a twist where at first I thought I kind of wanted him to be vigilante because I like that aspect of his character to still be kind of a superhero, even though he's doing things more of an extreme than Green Arrow would, but he's just a full-on villain here just wanting to bring Oliver down, but overall it was the right decision because it just made him a better villain both in and out of costume, so... Yeah, Elro's been really good this season, which I'm glad to say, because these last two years, uh, it was tough. <laughs> but yeah. if they could keep this up going forward, it would still be a great show to continue to watch. I totally forgot that Oliver is the mayor. <laughs> yeah, it made for some good stories this season. Oh, so. really? That really yeah. works? Mm-hmm. Oh. It's had a good status quo this season. There's some things where you scratch your head and it's like, oh, I don't know about that, or why did they go that route? But overall, there was a lot more good, and I, dare I say great, <laughs> than bad. So it's been you know, worth it, I think, if to check it out again if you haven't seen it the last two seasons because of how bad it was. So oh, good. There's some hope for you if you want to go back into it. <laughs> but uh, Jordan's second question is, what do you guys think of the Batgirl solo film news? You probably heard our thoughts on it in our future topic, Jordan, so uh, we'll hear your thoughts on it now. He says, I'm excited about it. Batgirl is my favorite member of the Bat family, other than Batman, and I've uh, been hoping to see her in the DCEU somewhere. Prior to this news, I had been speculating that she should show up in the solo Batfleck, Batflick, <laughs> Gotham City Sirens, Nightwing, and or Teen Titans movie, and she still could be in addition. But the news that she's going to get her own movie is, of course, even better. If the report is true that Barbara Gordon will be the version of Batgirl... Uh, oh, let me read that again. If the report is true that Barbara Gordon will be the version of Batgirl in the film, and I'm pretty confident it is true, then this confirms that we will get to see Barbara still as Batgirl in the DCEU. I had been a tad bit worried that because of Batflex age at this point in the DCEU timeline, Barbara would have already been paralyzed by the Joker and become Oracle. I would love to see that at some point, but because we still haven't gotten a great live-action portrayal as Barbara as Batgirl yet, and that's not a knock on Yvonne Craig or Alicia Silverstone, who I thought both did good jobs playing the specific iterations of that character that they were. Hmm. I definitely agree with you on Yvonne Craig, Jordan, but I don't know about Alicia Silverstone. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, He goes on, I want to see Barbara as Batgirl first before, before we see that. We have already seen a great live-action portrayal of Barbara as Oracle, in my opinion. 
see uh, Dinah Mare in Birds of Prey TV series. So I'm not s- starving as badly for that. Uh, Dinah Mare did, a, did don the Batgirl suit in the flashbacks and in one scene in present day, but that doesn't really count as a full Batgirl performance. Another reason I want to see Barbara as Batgirl in the DCEU first is that allowing us to see her as Batgirl prior to what transpires in The Killing Joke, if they even do plan to adapt that, the events of The Killing Joke at all in the DCEU, makes it more impactful and heartbreaking when the event does occur. That's why I think the prologue at the beginning of The Killing Joke animated movie was so good. We got to see Barbara in action as Batgirl and see how much she loved the job before she was shot, making the scene where the Joker attacked her that much more tragic. Of course, this Batgirl solo film could also be a movie set earlier in the DCEU timeline, which would still be okay with me because regardless of when it takes place in the DCEU timeline, we'd still be getting to see Barbara with Batgirl. That's a good point, Jordan. I didn't, we didn't talk about that as far as building the possibility where it doesn't have to take place in the current timeline. It could be a flashback, and that could work also. So it would be interesting if they do that way. He goes on, it's also been reported that the film will be inspired by Gail Simone's New 52 run, which opens up another possibility. In the New 52, Barbara had already been paralyzed and uh, became Oracle, but then underwent surgery to regain the ability to walk and become Batgirl once again. Now, they could have, they could have, that could have been the case in the DCEU, but I think it's unlikely. I think the reason they did that in the comics was to appease fans who would otherwise complain that the New 52 was forgetting or ignoring something as important as Barbara being paralyzed and being Oracle. That's never even been hinted at to have happened in the DCEU, so there would be no reason to write around it like that. I still haven't read Gail Simone's New 52 run. I started reading the New 52 Batgirl run with issue 35 once a new creative team came on and started Batgirl of Burnside. I think I'm going to go back and read the earlier New 52 stuff, though, since that's what it sounds like the movie will be based on. And I've also heard a ton of high praise for it. Well, I will say it started off really good. I did like that first arc with the villain Mirror. I think he was a cool villain, but it becomes hit and miss after that, and then just eventually, uh, unfortunately, didn't uh, sustain <laughs> its first good arc that it started with. It kind of lost me and dang at the end of it, so... But let us know what you think of it. I think you'll definitely enjoy the first arc, but I'll be curious to see what you think of the rest. So uh, that's it for Jordan. Just says, best Jordan. So thank you, Jordan, for your email, your questions, and letting us know your thoughts on all of the big DC stuff that's happening the last two weeks. Because like you said, there's definitely a lot between the movies, comics, animated movies. So lots of stuff to look forward to and to get your thoughts on. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, and finally, uh, we've... Save the less the 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 worst for last, which means <laughs> <laughs> Mark sent in an email. Um, Yay! Finally, Mark. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say finally because he did send one two episodes ago. But I guess it's nice to have one t- two sent so close together. So. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "How are my favorite podcasters?" I am, for one, excited about the Batgirl movie news. Hopefully, by the time it comes out, my daughter will be old enough to enjoy it. Also, Tom King. Knocking Batman out of the park. Dane, have you finally come on the Tom King train? No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> There's still room on it for you, Dane. I was a late passenger as well, but I'm on board. <laughs> I'd also like to echo that I also feel kind of pessimistic about Justice League. But I feel the movie, the movie people are really looking forward to, to is uh, Wonder Woman. The movie is in good hands with Patty Jenkins. She pretty much directed some of the best Game of Thrones episodes. 
I also don't like admitting Zack Snyder simply doesn't get DC. I'm pretty worried about Justice League. The positive things going forward is that DC movies will be made by people like Joss Whedon. Hopefully, we get some quality creators in the DCEU without too much oversight from suits. Lastly, baseball is back. Go Cubbies. I think the Cubs are picking up right where they left off. <laughs> they still look very, very good. How come um, uh, Wrigley has never been... I mean, has it been um, uh, renovated? Yeah, it just got renovated last year or two years yeah. ago. Oh, yeah, not too long ago. What about Dodger Stadium? Yeah, that did a few years ago as well. And same thing with like uh, Fenway and... Uh, mm-hmm. Is it Camden Yards? Yeah, for yeah. the Orioles. Yeah, the Orioles. Mm-hmm. Uh, See, that's what the Yankees should have done with the old Yankee Stadium. Just renovate it. Yeah. No need for a new one. Yeah, why did they just make a whole brand new one? Probably because they could. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Also, I'm going to request an uh, album review. Evil Friends by Portugal the Man. Well, Mark, got good news for you. We already reviewed it. <laughs> Just listen to our last episode. I guess that means you haven't listened to our last episode yet, Mark. Which yeah. means I'm very hurt and disappointed. How could you? <laughs> so, uh, I'm so glad that you listened to the podcast, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, check out episode 130 where you can hear our thoughts on Evil Friends by Portugal. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for our listener feedback and conversation with Alex. As always, thank you, Alex, Jordan, and Mark for sending us emails. And if anyone else wants to send emails, you can reach us at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com. So with that, we'll go ahead and go to our comic book review section for this episode. And as always, going to be spoilers, spoilers, spoilers for all the comics we're going to be talking about on this one. So if you haven't read your books yet, you might want to hold off, read them, and then come back and listen to this part. And what's good about this episode, Dane, and I guess for the month of March, there was five weeks in that month. And you know how on the fifth week for comics, pretty much like that's when annuals come out and not the normal standard issues. Right. Which meant for this episode, I could catch up on Detective Comics and Batman Team and T Adventures, which unfortunately I didn't get to for the last one. So we're going to be reading or reviewing Detective Comics 953, Batman Team and T Adventures number five, and Batman number 20. And for the rating scale on this one, I'm thinking times Tim calls. Josh Whedon. Josh Whedon. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, so Detective Comics 953. Um, I think the League of Shadows story arc is really getting going now. I'm all in. <laughs> this is part three, and this is a good issue. I like how it starts off with Batman and Batwoman just picking up Gordon, who is uh, <laughs> in a Hawaiian shirt, ready to go on vacation, just telling him how they need to evacuate the city, and Batman's not going to lose anyone else by the League of Shadows attack. But the heart of this issue is Cassandra Kane, which is pretty much why I'm really enjoying the story now. Uh, we know in the first two parts of this, she found out Shiva was her mother and how you know badly that's affecting her, how someone could be such a killer and affect her mo- could be her mother. And she starts off where she's looking at the computer with all these videos of Shiva, and then she's taken back to a fight she had with her father, David Kane, and how, you know, she's asking about her mother and he won't tell her anything about it and uh, how uh, something I believe it was I forget if she held something up or if it was a particular item 
but she asks him about it and she goes, it just belonged to a woman that I killed. And like, it's not your mother or he doesn't want to talk about her mother pretty much. And, you know, that just makes for another great moment where she's, after she starts thinking about that, Clayface comes in and offers some comfort for her. Uh, she's, he tells her how, you know, I'm not going to lie with you. I'm that woman told me to <laughs> kind of be your babysitter. So you don't go out, but you know, the, he, the way to help, he offers her uh, a way to express her feelings because he's in a similar situation like her where he didn't really know what to say or say what he was feeling in these bad times. And uh, what he had was a, a book by Shakespeare. It didn't say what it was. Maybe it's just a collection of all his Shakespeare's plays. Uh, but it was something that helped him express himself and he's giving it to Cassandra. Just as a nice gesture to have, have her know that he understands what she's going through. And he even tells her, you know, I'm not going to hold you here. You can go out and do what you want. I'll just say, you know, you overpower me. And, you know, that's not going to be a lie. You could easily escape from me if you wanted to. So that's what uh, Clayface does. It was just a great moment between the two characters. Cassandra gives him a hug and just says thank you because, you know, she has to go out and face her mother. So as Clayface lets her go and he tells uh, Batwoman and Batman that she went off, uh, League of the Shadows break into the Belfry again and uh, they're about to attack Clayface. And then Batman confronts uh, Orphan for a really cool fight sequence between Batman and Orphan. And we know Batman's holding back. He says he's not going to fight her. But it's really cool to see the two of them go at it, two of the best martial artists probably on the planet, <laughs> uh, knowing the training that uh, Batman and Orphan had. Kind of wish you get more fights between the two. <laughs> so it was a little nice sequence. And there was a cool panel here that showed how Cassandra views like Batman's pressure points or weak points, like these little uh, red circles highlighting those areas, which is kind of a cool POV uh, panel to have for Cassandra, which I thought was cool. So uh, she gets away from Batman because, you know, Batman didn't go all out. And then when Batwoman returns to the Belfry, she finds Clayface just scattered in mud pieces. The League of the Shadows took him down, and then they knock her out and bring her to the cells where her father is at. And they just stab her right in front of him as they said that's what Shiva told them to do. And then after that, we get Orphan confronting Lady Shiva, you know, just wanting answers from her about uh, her being her, her mother and why Shiva abandoned her. And Shiva just told her, you know, I'll tell you if you fight me, like you're going to kill me. But Orphan, still no match for her. Shiva takes her down pretty easily and knocks her out. But, uh, you know, I just love the story and this is the arc that Cassandra Kane is having here, wanting to know about her mother and just why she was abandoned. It's as someone who doesn't, you know, express herself a lot, this is the one thing that means everything to her and it's just nice to see how it plays out. You just really feel for the character how this evil person is her mother and she kinda wants to have that relationship with her or at least just have a reasoning to know uh, why she was left alone and brought up the way she was. So some good stuff there. And then the issue ends with uh Batman are being alerted by Alfred that someone's invading the Batcave. So Batman rushes over there, sees on the monitor that Clayface, Batwoman, and Orphan are taken down. He turns around and we got Ra's al Ghul and Ubu standing in the Batcave. So looks like Ra's is going to get involved, which kind of figured he would, <laughs> knowing how the issue started. So, yeah. This was a really fun issue. Great stuff with Cassandra Kane, Some cool fight sequences. So I'm going to give this one a 4 out of 5. Tim calls Josh Whedon. Josh Whedon. <laughs> All right, then for Batman Team of T Adventures number five. See, I got to admit, this is a nice surprise because I thought this was a limited edition series and this was the last one. 
But it turns out this is an ongoing, and we're going to get another story arc <laughs> later on. So I'm excited that this is going to be a comic that's going to continue on for the foreseeable future. Or maybe it just it's got just, picked up. Maybe it did, because I, rem- I remember reading the press release saying that it was going to be just like a miniseries. So, hey, I'm not going to complain, because <laughs> this one is so, so fun. I just oh, I love it. This is the final uh, p- part of this first arc where the Batman villains were invading New York City. And we've got the reveal in the last issue that it was the Mad Hatter who started all this. We see a flashback where he's able to open a portal to New York, but Batman is able to take him down and put him in Arkham. But that's just the start of Mad Hatter's plan. We see him start planning these devices on other Arkham inmates like Two-Face, and we know when this series started, Two-Face did go to New York through the portal, but was back. And this was all revealed to be Mad Hatter's plan, where the different villains we saw in New York, like Two-Face, Scarecrow, and Joker... They were there by the Mad Hatter with these beacons, and once they left, the beacons kind of broke off from them, but they were still there for Mad Hatter's plan, which was to do what he always does, use mind control, but this time on the whole city of New York. And now Batman and the Turtles only have a limited amount of time to stop him before he does that. And so he orders, uh, Batman orders Robin and uh, Michelangelo to go to Gotham to stop the Mad Hatter they know where he's at, to go through the portals. And boy, this is one of my favorite panel sequences of this Batman Ninja Turtles crossover because Michelangelo is so excited to go to Gotham. We see him and Robin go through the portals. Then the next two pages are panels recreating the classic opening from Batman the Animated Series. You see the blimps. You see the bank robbers. You see the explosions. You see the classic shot of the Batmobile coming out of the Batcave. But instead you see Michelangelo coming out of it. That awesome shot of Batman jumping down on the rooftop to confront those two robbers is Michelangelo in a Batman costume. <laughs> it's just so great. And then the panels play out just like the opening does in the show. Batman's taking out the crim- or Michelangelo in a Batman costume is taking out the criminals with Robin. And but he's having all sorts of trouble. He's tripping on stuff. He's having trouble getting out of the Batmobile. And then the iconic shot of Batman the animated series of him on the rooftop when the lightning strikes. You see him have that classic Batman pose, but as the lightning strikes, it freaks him out. He just gets all scared. <laughs> it's just really well done and designed in the sequence. It's just really good. This one of the big reasons why I love this crossover. They could just do fun stuff like this. It's so cool. So uh, Mikey and Robin confront uh, the Mad Hatter, but he has his uh, goons dressed up as Alice in Wonderland characters there to take him down and have a fight. And he activates the switch, and they're temporarily... Those in New York are under the mind control, including Batman and the rest of the Turtles. But Michelangelo, uh, in the unorthodox style of fighting that he does, figures out a way to destroy Mad Hatter's machine by kind of using himself as a slingshot (laughs) against some wires and rope to have him fling and use his turtle shell to break his machine. And then everyone snaps out of it. And Batman and the rest of the Turtles cut to Gotham and take down Mad Hatter. And they save the day by deactivating those portals. And it nicely ends with... uh, Robin, Batgirl, and Batman having some pizza on the rooftop (laughs) right next to a gargoyle. So really fun way to end it. But here's another thing that I really loved about this issue. It had a little epilogue where you see the Scarecrow uh, just hiding in a little like bunker in Gotham City. You just see him saying, not scary enough, not scary enough. They're coming. All of them are coming for us. I have to be different. I have to be darker. And what do you see? You see him designing his awesome Scarecrow outfit from the new Batman Adventures. That has become my favorite Scarecrow design. As anyone who's listened to the podcast knows, that's my favorite look at the Scarecrow. 
And we're getting the reasoning behind that and the origins of it in a Batman TMNT crossover comic. I mean, how awesome is that? <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one who thinks it's awesome because of how much I love the franchises and that Scarecrow design. But never in a million years would I thought I'd see the origin of that design in a Batman TMNT story. So I'm excited for what's to come. I love how it looks like Scarecrow is sketching out that design that I just love. And the next arc, I think, is going to deal with the Krang, which probably what uh, Scarecrow was fearing, how it was going to be a Krang invasion. And there's a preview of the cover for the next issue where it does look like it's jumping from the classic Batman, the animated series timeline, to the new Batman adventures, because you see Tim Drake, Batman's new uh, costume, and of course, we'll probably see Scarecrow's awesome new design. So a lot of cool stuff that I geeked out over in this issue. So I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of five times times tim calls joss whedon josh whedon so i love this first arc it was so much fun <laughs> and then we come to the big one batman number 20 wrapping up the i am bane story and boy did it wrap it up in a great way <laughs> this whole arc was a big success in my opinion it was a great story for bane had an awesome fight sequence with batman and bane in this issue it pretty much had all i was looking for so Batman and Bane are having their confrontation, but we get this we get flashbacks from the earlier parts of Tom King's story arc from the I Am Gotham story and also I Am Suicide Squad, and it's being narrated by someone, which doesn't get revealed to later. So as it's being narrated, we're seeing the person saying how why Batman's doing all this since the beginning of, you know, Batman number one from Rebirth, and how uh, well, actually, before I get that, i got to say about Batman's awesome dialogue, where Bane just tells him, this is the end, Batman. <laughs> I just love how Batman says, like, do you know how often I hear that? How many times people say that to me in different ways? Rest in peace, Batman. There's no escape, Batman. Time to die, Batman. It's like, every night I hear it, and yet I'm still here. <laughs> it was just so cool. And I just love how Batman was frustrated by that, and just, you know, just throwing down the gloves and ready to have an all-out brawl with Bane, and what a brawl it was. Both of them delivered, you know, hard blows against each other that you really felt <laughs> the impact of those punches. And yeah, David Finch did a great job. It's everyone involved in the art too, I should say, did an awesome job, uh, just laying out the panels and delivering it in a way that just really was impactful and for making it a really cool fight. But like I said, we get flashbacks to the other stories of Tom King's run. Like I said, you, get, you see the beginning of Batman trying to save that plane. And the thrust of this is why Batman is going all out to save Gotham Girl. And the person narrating this is saying, because she was your hope of, you know, kind of being the ultimate hero that Gotham needs. You're doing all you can, but you're not immortal. If you had, if there was someone who was as good as you, but had the powers of Superman and could do what they could do, Gotham would have uh, the hero it needs. And you'd have, I guess... I'm not sure if it was said, but kind of in a way like the soldier you need for your war and crime when you vow to your parents to fight crime and dedicate your life to it. You'd have the perfect hero to do that who couldn't be stopped. But as we know, things went wrong with Psycho Pirate uh, warping Gotham Girl's mind and then Batman having to break into Santa Prisca to free the pirate and do everything that happened since then leading up to Bane's attack on his family uh, up until this very fight now. It was all because, you know, Gotham Girl was a big part of Batman's war on crime and what he'd hoped to achieve. But as the issue goes on, we re- it gets revealed that the person narrating this as Batman is having an epic fight with Bane is Batman's mother. You know, tying into that theme of mothers between Bane and Batman, 
in those in the early part of the story arc. And I was kind of questioning why Tom King mainly focused on Batman's mother instead of you know both uh, her and his father. But it's kind of revealed in this issue where like Bat she was the driving force in motivating Batman through this whole ordeal with Bane. And as Batman looks like he's about to be beaten against Bane, uh, <laughs> you know Batman he's not going to go down without one last blow and he basically you know, taunting him saying like do you know who I am I'm Bane and Batman just goes yeah I know you're Bane but he goes I think you forgot I'm Batman and there's this, this great splash page of Batman headbutting Bane and now I talked about you really felt the impact of the blows you feel it here for Bane as you see the pain Bane is in and the blood that's coming out of out of his face and his ripped up mask yeah it was just really well done and just a great moment for Batman and both of them are knocked out, and Batman kind of goes into you know a dreamlike state, and he he's reunited with his mother. It kind of you know I guess one of those things where the character's knocked out. It's like he's in a spiritual realm or something. But he has a conversation with his mother, where this one kind of took me by surprise. Where I was expecting, like I said, it made sense for me that Batman would view Gotham Girl as a great asset to his war on crime, being having those superpowers, but yet being a good person, something he could never do. That worked for me, but uh, Tom King flipped it flipped it over, and where he's having a conversation with his mother, who's telling him all this. Batman or Bruce goes to her. The girl needed help, so that's why I helped her. That's all it is. That's all it's ever been. And to me, that really sums up Batman. He helps whoever is in need. Sure, his war on crime is a big part of it, and the allies that are involved with it are. But he's doing this for the promise he made to his parents, and just to help whoever needs help, like. He, him and his family did during that night they were killed so I just love that aspect that no matter the situation Batman would have done this anyway no matter if, if she had powers or not so that was just a great moment and a great uh, I guess little twist on the story and Martha's line here is great too she just goes Bruce Thomas Wayne my little boy all grown up you know you don't need a good death for me to be proud of you and then Batman you know comes back to the senses as you see a panel of him coming out of the fight he just goes yes mother I know so just a great tie in there and I love how Martha said you know she was proud of him and my one of my biggest gripes with Tom King's writing of Batman is how in the I Am Suicide story he said how he thinks his parents would laugh at him and I hope he doesn't think that anymore <laughs> after having this somewhat of a vision with his mother because they would be any, they'd be doing anything but laughing at him they'd be proud so a great wrap up to this I Am Bane story and I think kind of a great bookend to Tom King's uh, arcs overall in these first 20 issues so great stuff here i'm going to go ahead and give it five out of five times tim calls josh whedon josh whedon so yeah dane get on that tom king train <laughs> at least for the iron <laughs> bane story i thought it was really really great i guess i have to now not now that you gave it five out of five mark continuously asked me if i'm gonna <laughs> five like the tom king uh batman so i guess i have to now Yes, you do. <laughs> so, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. So, as always, for the outro, I'll go ahead and throw it to you, Dane. All right. Uh, just go over to the BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com slash BatmanUniverse, Twitter handles at BatmanUniverse, show's Twitter handles at BatfansPodcast, Tim's Twitter handles at TimG311, and my Twitter handles at DaneSaysBanana. Uh, review us on iTunes, and you can email the show at BatfansWithoutPants at gmail.com. So with that being said, Tim, what do we say at the end of every episode? We love each and every one of you with all of our hearts. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time.
See you next time, everybody.